Very well done. Thank you so very, very much. Once again, my wife Beverly and I are honored to be here. For those of you that are visiting, my name is Jim Howard, and I serve as an assistant pastor at Tucson Baptist, and we've been there for some 45 years. We're semi-retired, and a wonderful privilege to be here. I shared in the early service. We've been in a number of churches and spoken at different occasions and so on, but I have to tell you, your church is one of the most welcoming churches we've ever been in. Let me tell you a little bit about my day yesterday. We had a major funeral service that we conducted. And then afterwards, our church is getting ready for some growth group fellowships. And last week, I mentioned what 40% of ministry was. Do you remember? Moving tables and chairs. So I got to move <laughs> tables and chairs yesterday. But as I was coming down here, and I'm kind of embarrassed to say this a little bit, but we received a phone call on the way, and they offered to take us to dinner last night. And we were so honored by that, but due to the timing and everything and getting set up, we, we kind of had to take a rain check, so we're, we're going to do it uh, next Saturday. But, but the gentleman's name is Ed, so I'm not sure which... <laughs> So if you could help me out with that, I, I'm a little embarrassed by that, but if you could let me know afterwards, I want to make sure we arrive with the right family. It kind of reminds me of a story of Albert Einstein was on a train, and he was going to his next place to speak and lecture. And the conductor went by, and he was there, and Einstein's looking all around and everything, and he was trying to find his ticket. And the conductor said, no worries, I know who you are. You're, you're fine, I'll take care of it. The conductor went on down and finished collecting the tickets, and he came back, and Einstein was on his hands and knees, down underneath the chair, looking for his ticket. And again, the conductor said, I know you. And Einstein said, son, I know you know me. I know who I am. I just don't know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> we want to know where we're going, don't we? Yeah. We sure do. And uh, last couple of weeks here, my first message was the purpose of the church. And then last week I shared with you why you should love your church. And today we're going to start a new series, so I invite your attention to 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to be doing a series here, What Every Church Should Be. Preparing your heart and your life, this ministry, for the next pastor and family that's going to come. And there is a great foundation here, and there is great potential. And so we're praying specifically. As I said, I pray every day for the pulpit committee. I know they'll keep you informed on what's taking place. We're praying for the next one that God's going to call and, and to bring here, what every church should be. If you read through 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, there is an emphasis. One is the soon return of Christ. Soon, it could happen any time. Immediate. And we need to be prepared and ready and make sure our ears tuned to be able to hear that trumpet. And the second part, which we will deal with in the days ahead too, is the practical ministry of the church. What does that look like? What, what does a pastor do? What is the responsibility of being a member? But a little bit of background here. We're in the city of Thessalonica. It was an important industrial city. Only Athens is a little bit larger. 
It's based upon 315 B.C. And it was named after the sister of Alexander the Great Thessaloniki. And during Paul's day, the city had about 200,000 people. Today, there's about 300,000 there. But as you read through First and Second Thessalonians, every major doctrine of Christianity basically is mentioned. In fact, the gospel's preached, and it's the power to salvation. If I were to ask you what is the gospel, many of you would say it's the good news. It's the good news about what? Well, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you and received wherein you stand, by which also you're saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you've believed in vain. For I delivered first of all unto you that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins. That's the gospel, and that he was buried, and that he rose again. And I would just add, he's coming back someday soon. And we're excited about what's going to take place. But why? Why did Paul write these two letters? Well, the first one was to assure his friends of his love and his concerns. See, he was only there for three weeks. Only three weeks to establish this church. The Jews rejected him. They persecuted him. So he had to leave. But he had turned to the Gentiles and he had shared the gospel with them. Some had embraced Christ as Savior, so he's showing his love, his concern. And then secondly, he wanted to ground them in truth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll go to chapter 1 in just a moment. What they were struggling with, the, the truth was that Jesus had shared he was going to come again. When was he going to come again? Is, is it immediate? Is it now? Is it years later? When's he going to come? And then they also were wrestling with, what has happened to my mom or dad that has died? What has happened to my brother or sister? Remember, at this time, monotheism, the belief in one God, was new. The true God, Jesus Christ. There were many gods there. And death was an enemy. Now look here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I mentioned this in the first service. Due to the fact that I have been involved in a large church, large ministry, an older ministry, Beverly and I have performed many, 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 many funerals. And oftentimes when you go to the gravesite and the casket is there, right before they introduce me to speak, they'll say, we have now come to the final resting place. I tell you, that's not true. That is not true. Look with me here, 1 Thessalonians 4, 14. We're talking about the gospel. For if we believe that Jesus died, rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent Proceed, go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise. So, see, even God's not going to allow Satan even to have victory over the body. Amen. Going to be resurrected. We call it the rapture. That means to be snatched up. Notice verse 17. 
Then we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the where? In the air. Remember that. In the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is speaking about that soon return of Christ. But scripture also teaches about a second return to Christ. And we'll talk on that in just a moment. So Jesus is conquering death. First Timothy, uh, Second Timothy 1.10. But it's now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death. So as a believer, we don't have to fear death. Amen. Think, think of this in your Christian life. All of this in heaven too. Isn't that a blessing to know that? As you have loved ones that transition to hospice, as you get the news about a loved one that's passing, you understand, as a believer, they don't need to fear death. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow. You don't have to fear a shadow. For there to be a shadow, there must be what? Light. And that light represents all that Jesus Christ stands for, and heaven awaits us. Just as a side note here to a little material, each New Testament book has a special emphasis. In Romans, it's righteousness. 1 Corinthians speaks about the wisdom of God. 2 Corinthians teaches us about the comfort of God. Galatians speaks about our freedom that we have in Christ. Ephesians is our richness, our wealth in Christ. Philippians teaches us about our joy that we have in Christ. Colossians speaks about the preeminence of Christ, him being first. First and second Thessalonians speak about the return of Christ. First and second Timothy is instruction. Titus teaches us truth. And Hebrews teaches us about the heroes of the Bible. Well, I invite your attention once again to First Thessalonians chapter 1. And those that are physically able, I invite you to stand as we have the reading of God's word. Once again, the title of the message, What Every Church Should Be. And I'm going to read the odd verse by myself and then join me on the even verses. Last, last service we did this, it kind of went, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> so we're all going to be on the same page here. All right. I'll start all the odd. You join me on the even. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.1. I, Paul, and Savantus, and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not only to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Acacia. For you from sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but also at every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, 
so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Father, we pause before you here, this lovely church full of people who love you, love one another. We're praying your richest and choicest blessings upon them. Now we surrender the remainder of this time to you, Lord, that you will be elevated, that you will be lifted up, that Christ will be honored, that the power of the gospel will go forth. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to share with you here what I call some characteristics now of an ideal New Testament church. First of all, right there, that verse, it says, an elect people. Now, we know the word church. Ecclesia. Say it with me. Ecclesia. Ecclesiastical means pertaining to the church. Or you may have heard the word ecclesiology. Ology means study of. So if I say Christology, it's the study of Christ. Bibliology would be the study of the Bible. Okay? And so ecclesiology is the study then of the church. And what is a church? Well, if you look at the definition, it's in a called out assembly. You know, it's been called out from the world under the dominion and rule of Jesus Christ. Someone that has been saved knows Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and by obedience has followed the Lord in scriptural baptism. But this election there in 1 Thessalonians 1.4, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Sometimes when you mention the doctrine of election, some people get a little nervous and some people get a little confused. And I really believe one of the best illustrations I've ever come across is this. It's like we have a doorway here and we have an arch on it. And it says, whosoever will may come. And that includes you and that includes me. And we step through that doorway and we look on the back side and it says, chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. Can you rejoice with that and, and claim that? See, we may never totally understand this concept. And don't, don't be ashamed of that. This has exercised the hearts and minds of men for more than 2,000 years. And there's commentaries and theologians that have written on it. But I'm thankful that I know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. See, there are some very obvious things about salvation. First of all, salvation does belong with God. John 15, 16 says, You've not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And Ephesians 1.4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. So the plan of salvation was born in the heart of God even before the creation of the world. And we're thankful for that. But salvation involves God's love. Many of you know Romans 5.8. But God commendeth his love toward us, that while we are yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. Christ died for you. So one word, or actually it's two words, the cross. And the story of salvation. You heard me share it last week. You know these verses. You can fill it in as we go along. I call it the Romans road as you share with people. We know Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, what? No, not one. And then Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God is here. We are here. We continue to fall short. That's what scripture is teaching us. But Romans 6.23, but the wages of sin is death. That's the payment you receive because of sin. Ah, but there's a positive part to this verse. But the gift of God is eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess, if thou confess thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt what? Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made what? Unto salvation. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall what? Be saved. You can put your name right there. For if Jim Howard calls upon the name of the Lord, he shall be saved. And I trust that's taken place. Now look with me in Galatians chapter 5. If that has taken place, if that transaction has taken place, if you've come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then there would be evidence of that. It would be apparent in your heart and in your life. In other words, even other people would be able to distinguish it and see it in your heart and your life. Now, this evening, yes, we have communion at 5.30. Or wait, what time? That's right, okay. Wanted to make sure, 5.30. And then we have the evening service at 6 o'clock. And I'm starting a series in Philippians about always rejoicing. And I, I don't know how long my tenure will be here. Maybe a month, maybe longer. But if I have an opportunity, I'm going to do a series on this too. Because I, I love this portion of scripture. Join me in Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And I think we all want that. We all strive for it. That's what we desire. But that would be evidenced in your heart and your life. You would have love. You would have joy. You would have genuine peace. Even though the world, all the tribulation, all the stuff that's going on, all the nonsense that's going on, all the stuff that you shake your head and you say, how in the world is that happening? Who in the world thought that up? You don't understand it. Do you have peace? Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, Faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the afflictions and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us what? Also walk in the Spirit. So if you claim the name of Christ, you claim to be a Christian, a Christ follower, then these would be evident in your heart and in your life. Sometimes when I teach on this, someone will ask me a question. They'll say, how do I know for certain that I am one of the elect or I was one of the elect? It, it concerns them, and, and rightfully so. Well, I ask you this. Are you aware of your sins? Did you have a desire to be saved? 
Did you sense your need for Christ? Were you willing to confess your sin? Were you willing to do what Romans 10, 13 said? Well, then you can rest assured you know Christ. As John 1, 12 tells us, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Salvation obviously involves faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved, how? Through faith. I appreciate Brother Ed's Sunday school lesson. Let me tell you, if, if you're not coming to the adult Bible class, you need to be here. Brother Ed, thank you so much. Well done. It's laid out. It's practical. And you really touch upon the scriptures, and having faith and prayers being answered. It ministered to me today, so I appreciate that very much. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. As he said even today, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, but then it says something else. He is a rewarder of those that seek him. What's the reward? Salvation. The, the strength to live this life in his power, to be controlled and used by the Holy Spirit. That's the reward. But the basis of it starts, obviously, with faith. And you've, you've heard this repeated. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Salvation involves the Trinity. God the Father chose us before the foundation of the world. Christ the Son died upon the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And then the Holy Spirit was responsible for drawing me to Christ. And once again, salvation results in that changed life. Not only are we an elect people, we're supposed to be an exemplary people. We're supposed to be an example unto others. Notice there, 1 Thessalonians 1.5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Acacia. They received the word. And what that means is they were imitators. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be you followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. So there are a number of ways for us to have the word of God really transform us. Go with me now to a parable in Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13. A parable is, you've heard it before in Sunday school, that it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And, and, and Jesus, was, Jesus was the master at this, uh, of using different uh, nature, animals, people, situations. He was able to teach people through parables. Now, join me in Matthew 13, verse 3. And he spake many parables, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. When he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. The fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell among stony places, 
where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. When the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now you hear this, and what's, what's, what's Jesus talking about? Well, the disciples had the same question. So drop down now to verse 18. He gives an explanation of this, this parable. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one. Who's the wicked one? Satan. Satan. And catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. The wayside did not lodge. Who's the God of this world? Satan. He does not want someone to become a believer. He will do whatever he can to block that. He, he will bring tragedy to people's lives. Uh, what, one of the greatest questions that keep people from becoming Christians is, is when they see these tragedies and innocent people dying. And it is, it's hard for us sometimes. To, but remember this. We live in a fallen world. Yeah. Romans teaches us there. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world. Death by sin. So death hath passed upon all men. Why? For all have sinned. We live in a fallen world. Sin does take place. All right, pick up the next verse there, verse 20. He that received the seed in stony place, the same as he that heareth the word, and non with joy receive it. Okay, he's heard the word. He's accepted it. He's excited about knowing Christ. Verse 21. Yet he hath no root in himself, but doeth for a while, when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. In other words, he's accepted Christ, but then problems come. Tribulations are problems. And it can be health. It can be finances. It can be a marriage. It can be children. I don't know. Tribulation problems come, and they step away from their faith in Christ. They do not stay engaged. They do not stay involved. A situation can happen in a church, and people will walk away. They're losing their faith because of that. But don't you stop there. We need to continue on. Verse 22. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the cares of this world. The deceitful of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. All right, here's someone that has a path, a pattern. They're engaged. They're involved. They're being fruitful. Then all of a sudden the cares of the world come. What are the cares of the world? Car payment, house payment, health issues, uh, neighbor issue. I, I don't know. It can, be, it can be 101 things that can come. And what happens is, is you begin to focus upon that. Or you begin to focus on chasing the almighty dollar. That becomes most paramount to you. And you sacrifice your relationship with Christ, your relationship with the church, your relationship with other believers. Ah, but this is where you're at. Join me now. Verse 23, but he that received the seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word. You're here. You're hearing the word and understand it. We try to make it teachable. We try to make it applicable for you. I believe, I believe the men here try to do the very best that they humanly can. I know I do. So you can understand it, which also beareth fruit. That way you're going to be fruitful. You're going to impact other people. 
You're going to reach other people with the cause of Christ. As we continue to receive the word, we need to read it. Now, I am a little bit older. I know that. And my pace may be a little bit slower in the pulpit. But generally, 80 hours of what I read and I speak, you can read the entire Bible through in 80 hours. I shared with you last week, 60 pe people that are 60 years of age and older watch television more than 60 hours a week. Wow. Just trying to contrast what are we willing to put our time and energy into. Bible comes from biblical, which means books. How many books are in the Bible? 66. How many are in the Old Testament? 39. Here, here's a little. This is something I learned some time ago. How many letters are in old? How many letters are in Testament? Nine. So how many are in the Old Testament? 39. Go to the New Testament. How many letters are in new? Three. How many letters are in Testament? Three times nine? 27. You've got it now. 66 books of the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. I'll be given a quiz at the end of class. <laughs> but the whole story of the Bible is the story of sin and salvation. He tells us in Deuteronomy 17, 19, it shall be with him and he shall read therein all the days of his life. Don't put the Bible aside. Don't, don't, don't put it on the shelf. Don't, don't have your Bible and put it in the back of your car and leave it there till next Sunday and you come in and it's all shiny and clean and new. It's, it's, it's supposed to be used. It's supposed to be worn. Read it all the days of your life. You will learn to fear the Lord your God. Keep all the words, his law, these statutes to do them. And then you research the word. There, I, I, th there's devotionals available to you. I, I picked up a brochure here about uh, Faith Bible Institute. I understand is an excellent program of growing your faith, discipleship programs, individual study. And then we memorize the word. Psalm 119.11. Thy word, what? Have I hid in my heart that might not sin against thee. If you memorize God's word, it's going to be there. And when you get tempted, and you will be tempted, and you start to do wrong, God's word can be there to help keep you from fulfilling that temptation. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And Joshua teaches us that we're supposed to meditate on it day and night. And then these believers were an encouragement to other believers. Did you catch a portion there? Paul was talking about how they were going to go and share the gospel with others, but those people already had heard. So if I were to ask you, has your family heard your story of salvation? Has your neighbor heard of your story of salvation? If I was to come and knock on your neighbor's door and ask, do you know Titus? And they would say, oh, yeah. Would they know that he's a believer picking you out, right? You, you see what I'm saying here? 
Not only are we being elect people and exemplary, we're being an example. The Bible says we're supposed to be an enthusiastic people. The word is entheos. Say it with me. Entheos. One more time. Entheos. Entheos means God in you. That's genuine enthusiasm. I'm not talking about trying to manufacture something that's fake and it's not real. When I was young and growing up and we had little kids, they would sit outside the bathroom door and I'd stand in front of the mirror and I'd say, I feel happy. I feel healthy. I feel terrific. And I'd do it seven times. Didn't make any difference, but I, <laughs> they laughed at me. I'm not trying to manufacture something that's false here. But your spirit identifies with other believers. How many times have you been on vacation, you walk in a restaurant, the waitress come up or someone else you run into and your spirits agree. You just know the spirit is there. First Thessalonians 1.8. It says, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Now, I'm going to be very bold here, and I'm going to tell you, and Brother Ed would agree with me and others, it is a real privilege to teach and preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. But there is a huge responsibility and a great burden that I carry. I want to make sure whenever I step into this pulpit that I am prepared, that my life is right, my heart is right, I've done the study, and then I get the privilege to be able to present it to you. That's my responsibility. But what I think is you have a responsibility too. I kind of think of it as a dartboard. And your heart is the receptacle. And if I take the word of God, and as you know, I've told you, it's not about me. It's not about me 50 years of ministry. It's not about my preaching. It's the word of God. And it's 60 verses or more every sermon I teach. It's like a dart, and I'm tossing that dart at your heart. And if your heart's cold and hard like a stone, what's going to happen? Boink. Or if you're just kind of playing the game and your heart's paper, what's going to happen? It's going to go right through. But if your heart is like that corkboard, it's going to lodge, and it's going to make a difference. And you're going to read the word, you're going to study the word, you're going to memorize the word, you're going to apply the word, and you're going to be willing to follow his leading. We've already mentioned it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Not only this, we need also this last thought here to be an expectant people. We're looking and waiting for that return of Christ. We, we read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 to you before, but notice here 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Remember, there were all kinds of idols that they were worshiping. There, there were heathen gods. They were making sacrifices. And all of a sudden, they understand the truth. They come to know Christ. They turn from those idols, and they want to start serving the living and the true God. But verse 10 tells them something, and to wait, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. 
We've already spoken about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Jesus is going to call the dead. They're going to rise first because they have six feet farther to go. And then we're going to meet where? We're going to meet in the air. Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 14. That's the rapture, the soon return of Christ. Oh, there's coming today, though, that Jesus is going to physically return to the earth. And he's going to be king of kings and lord of lords. And he's going to usher in a period of time that's known as the millennium. And how long is a millennium? It's a thousand years. Think of living in a world where sin is abated and Christ is king and king of kings. Actually, in the Bible, there's a lot more about the millennium than we ever really read or study. But for that to happen, look with me in Zechariah chapter 14. It's kind of rough reading at first, but it gets better. Beloved, the day of the Lord cometh. Thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, The women ravished. Half the city shall go forth into captivity. Residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth. Fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And capture verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east, toward the west. There shall be a great valley, and half the mountain shall remove toward the north, half of it toward the south. And Acts says, this same Jesus, as you see go away, will one day come again. So we have the rapture that takes place. Christians are taken to heaven. Down here upon the earth is a period of time known as the tribulation. That tribulation lasts seven years. Another topic is the judgment seat of Christ. That's what takes place. Where you receive the rewards for you being faithful and serving Christ. Ah, but things get bad down here upon the earth. And we know from Isaiah 14 that Lucifer, when he fell, I will, I will, I will, I will, five different times. And his desire was to supersede the Lord. And one day he'll step into the temple there in Jerusalem, claiming that he's supposed to be Lord of Lord. And Jesus Christ is going to come back, and his feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives. He's going to defeat the enemy. And once again, he's going to serve for more than a thousand years. And you will serve with him. But what do we do about today? Right now, where we're here, 2023. <clears throat> Occupy until I come. What does that mean? As a believer, be busy. Continue on. Don't quit. Don't get offended. Don't little, little things pull you down. Don't you give up. You stay faithful. Most importantly, be ready for that return of Christ. Let's go ahead and bow our heads together. The pianist is going to come and play for us here in just a moment, or she'll start right away. While you have your heads bowed, I'm reminded of my brother. He was a professor at Baptist Bible College some 33 years. He's in heaven, and he used to sign his letters oftentimes when he'd write me until the trumpet sounds. One day that trumpet's going to sound. And if it sounds, are you ready?
Is your ear tuned to hear that trumpet? In other words, do you truly know Christ as Savior? If you don't, while she is playing, let's just go ahead and quietly stand together and keep our heads bowed. The altar is open. If you feel so led to come forward to receive Christ or perhaps to make sure that your heart is right toward the Lord. See, it's not just the church that is an elect church or exemplary or an enthusiastic or expectant. That's what every member should be. So make sure that your heart is right in salvation first and then for our service for him. Are you ready? Are you ready for his return? Because one day you will hear the Lord say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And right where you're standing, you can take a moment and just talk with the Lord. Later this evening, for the members of the church, they have the Lord's Supper and Communion, wanting to make sure your heart and life is in alignment there, whatever the need may be. And I just encourage you to continue to pray for your pulpit committee and the leadership of this church. is open as we've had some that have responded. Anyone else that feels the need or the desire? Maybe the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart. You're among friends here. You'll not be judged wrongly. If you wish to make your heart right or come to know Christ as Savior, that's, see, that's the purpose. That's why we do what we do. And everything points to making a heartfelt decision. Our Father, as we come before you, we thank you for the privilege of being here in this church with these people. And we pray for those under the sound of my voice that, Lord, that their heart and life may be in alignment and right with you. And Lord, you desire for us to be a happy people, a joyous people. And we're able to do that in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit, not in our own strength. Be with those internal decisions privately that were made. May you help them to cherish your word, to read it, to study it, to apply it. May we leave here with a, a good feeling in our heart and life and be back faithful in our services tonight. We thank you for the visitors that have come. We hope that they've been made felt welcome. And Lord, hope that they have benefited from the teaching and the preaching of thy word. We'll be careful to give thee all the praise. And all of God's people says, Amen. 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 Shake hands with one another.